Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about classical education, old books, uh, philosophy, sometimes maybe some art, um, paintings. A couple of doors. A couple of doors. And uh, from three guys who love it. Um, my name is Graham Donaldson, and I am joined with my colleagues and partners in... Crime. Crime. It's crime. That's the word you're looking for. I guess. Uh, Mr. Thomas Fletcher Magby. Hi. And Mr. Arthur Jan Hannenberg. Yep. And uh, today, when I was looking at talking to AJ about what he was going to be doing the episode on, it, uh, apparently we're doing the old um, Robin Williams movie Hook. Mm. Um, because uh, uh, in Hook, there is one of the characters' name is uh, Euthyphro, who was the leader of the Lost Boys mm-hmm. until Robin Williams came back and learned how to throw, have a food fight again. Bangerang. Um, yep. So, uh, you, the, fro. I think there's a lot of build up for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a it was lot worth of build it. up. It was worth yeah, it. It was yeah, all right. It was, it was I don't well, mind it. well done. Didn't they have a cool skateboard thing? They had a cool skateboard thing? <sighs> that thing was cool. I, I was so jealous of that skateboard thing and the one in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. They, when you like walked into the foot clubhouse and the, they were all skateboarding yeah. on stuff. Um, Casey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Casey was and cool. April O'Neil. Uh, they, they said bangerang, right? That's what they said yeah. in Hook? Bangerang. Yeah, yeah, and they had the food fight with the colorful food. Yep. Yeah. And then they, they had a chant and so did the pirates. It was hook, hook, give them the hook. Well, that's Remember? right. Yeah. That was a good movie. That was a great movie. What blows my mind is that it was Dustin Hoffman who played Hook. Isn't that crazy? That is pretty crazy. He did a good job. He did do, do a good just job. Just because it doesn't look like him. But yeah, it doesn't yeah, look yeah, like sure. When you think of Dustin Hoffman, you don't think of like a scary pirate. You think right. of like the dude from The Graduate. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, uh, I mean, or, the, or the guy from Outbreak. In fairness, he wasn't that scary. Fair. He wore a big wig. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. that's good for a kid's movie, I, I suppose. Um, all right. We're talking Socrates. Yep. Today talking we Heidi. are talking Euthyphro. So Euthyphro is one of the dialogues of Plato. I read a few of them in preparation for a plenary talk that I did last week, which you can find either on our Patreon, if you're a member, or at the Veritas Academy web YouTube YouTube page. There's a few live streams. It's one of the live streams from last week. So, so you don't curious. need to be a member. Just go. Uh, <laughs> just go get it on the YouTube. Uh, yeah. So if <laughs> no, pay, pay 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 us money and watch it that way. But there's there's other stuff on the Patreon. Thank that you. you there can, it is. You can get your hands on. There's if you the come and Support us. Good. But but yeah, if you want to see that, you can go. You can go and check it out there. So I read this one and I read Mino. And I, really, Mino was the one I was hoping would pay off because the question for, for Mino is, can virtue be taught? Right. And? Is there any way to give virtue to kids? And uh, Plato's answer is no, no, not really. <laughs> it's all uh, it's all just a gift to the gods, and either you're lucky or you're not. And part of his reasoning is the kids would, <laughs> the kids of virtuous men would therefore be virtuous if virtue could be taught. Like you see all these really virtuous, awesome men, and then their kids are just worthless sacks of nothing. And so he's like, well, that is a pretty big indicator that doesn't really work. And you don't see a lot of teachers out there who teach virtue, right? You see a lot of math teachers and a lot of science teachers, but not a lot of virtue teachers. And so somehow we're not really getting it. But does he find his dad at the end? Who? Mino. Is he looking for his dad? Yeah. Finding Mino. Oh my God. Oh my word. (laughs) Ugh, I hate this. Ugh, why? Isn't he like a little fish? Soak your head. That's the one. Yep. Nailed it. Ugh. My word. Okay. So I read Youthfro. And Euthyphro... It's a free podcast, boys. <laughs> People get what they pay so for. we just do whatever we want to <laughs> yes. accept the deal? Uh, uh, yes, that's, that's been the deal for 200 it's been a episodes. Deal for <laughs> yeah, for a long time. Years. Yeah. <laughs> has it been five years? No, I don't it's know. been longer than that, I think. No, it hasn't. 2016 was... No. I'll look it up. No, no sure lies. Right. 
I'll look it up while you're oh, talking. Please but don't. I think the first. I hope one it's was not 2016. 2016. <laughs> you you look so it up because y'all first posted it on the blog, which I don't want to. On the blog, the Veritas face bomb. Okay, uh, that's where you. That's where it was first posted, or that, where I'm aware of it. That's where that, oh, that wasn't that a was, podcast. That was, that was a different, different podcast. Thing. That I was, thought it was episode one. Yeah, but no, no, that was. Um, I put it on there. I think also, but. That was the, we did a Macbeth podcast. That was the Poor Teachers' ago. Almanac Society. That's a whole other thing. No, but I'm looking, like, uh, when it was, it, bef- sorry, no one cares about this. Before it was, like, a podcast feed, you posted on Google Drive yeah, to be yeah. downloaded by link, and yeah. that link is on the Veritas Facepalm. Yeah. Fair well, enough. I think that's how it was distributed, was just through there. How, isn't that how we still distribute it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds about Bird right. is not part of the technical team <laughs> for the podcast. All right, so... Episode one was, oh, 2017. September 17th, 2017. Five years. So December. Five. So almost se- se- okay. September. Five All right. So the, uh, there's, there's some cool dialogues of Plato. There's one I'm, I'm currently reading called uh, Apology, where it's, it's Socrates sort of defending himself in front of the court before he will eventually be killed for his, you know, menacing, threatening, philosophical ways. Um, so I read, read through a little bit of that. This read Credo? Where he, uh, Credo's where he's in jail and Credo's like, hey man, I'm here to bail you out. I've read Credo before. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I've read, I think I've read all of Apology, but it's been a little while, gotcha. so I'm reading back over it. Anyway, this one is actually as he stands in line to go into jail. Mm-hmm. He runs into this into guy court. Named, Into court. Yes. Not to eventually jail. to jail. Yeah. But into court to sort of defend himself. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. They're going to bring charges against me. I don't know how it's going to go. I'm really nervous about it. And Euthyphro's like, I'm here to, uh, do some business of my own. He's like, oh, what are you up to? And Euthyphro is doing a thing. So now, I know, Graham, you know the scenario. Yes. Let's see what Here we Thomas go, would yo. Do. Here we go, yo. Say what's... That's the scenario? <laughs> yeah, whatever. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Let's, uh, is there any way to, like... Oh, I'm sorry. It? Are you not a tribe called Quest fans? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, their last album was really good. Yeah? Yeah. At least, like, a year ago. Anyway, um, so, Thomas. Yeah. Your dad... Okay. He's a wealthy man. Okay. Okay. He's got some servants and some workers. And one poor worker, like he's just a groundskeeper worker, um, he gets really hammered one night. And then he gets in a fight with one of your house staff. Okay. Let's say uh, he's, a, he's like a house janitor. Okay. That sweeps up after you guys and kills him. Kills the guy. Okay. Cuts You'd, his throat. Mm-hmm. Your dad catches this guy. Right? Okay. Chases him. Catches him. Puts him in chains and says, "I got to figure out what to do with this Joker, right? You guys live kind of out in the boonies, right? There's there's not a whole lot of people near to catch what's going on, and so he ties that guy up, throws him in a ditch, and then sends a messenger to go ask the priest of the local parish what he should do. Okay. While he is waiting for that message to return, the guy in the ditch dies. Oh. So the murderer kicks it. Yes. And your dad says, "Well, that's a murderer. Right. Problem solved itself. What do you do?" Nothing. Do you denounce your father? Do you stay where you are? Do you kind of let it go? Why would I denounce my father? It seems like, I mean, I don't know the circumstances of the second person dying, but... Um, Negli- he it was just it was, exposure. He was, exposure. Yeah, he was cold, he was hungry, he was in chains. What's Nobody that? was tending to him in the, in the ditch. Maybe he was in like a weird position. Yeah, bummer all around. Yeah, I don't, I don't see why there'd be more that needs to happen. So there was, my servant was killed, and then the person who did that action is now dead also. So there's not really, I mean... I don't know if you're trying to get at, like, that servant needs to be replaced or that first person needs to be replaced, but that doesn't seem quite right. Um, a wrong thing happened, and then someone was punished, and then that's kind of the end of it. Thomas. 
And I thought you were pious. I thought he was, too. I'm, I am no... So this is what has happened to Euthyphro. Okay. His dad is in that position. And Euthyphro has come to court and is standing next to Socrates in line, which nobody wants to do. <laughs> exactly uh, right. And he's like, I'm here to denounce my dad as a murderer. Because... To prosecute him. To prosecute him in front of the court. Because he has committed a murder. Even though that guy was a murderer, uh-huh. he committed a murder by letting him rot in the ground and not tending to him and not taking uh, care of him. And so he is here to denounce his dad. And Socrates is like, holy cats. Yeah. That's incredible. You are willing to... And, and we don't necessarily have the same compunctions, familial compunctions that they did back in that society. You you never turn in your dad. Right. Like that's, that is a thing that's but also, not generally okay. If you... If someone in your family was murdered, it was up to you to bring that person to the court. You wouldn't, like, if your family did the murder, like, you could be, you could feel bad about it, but you're not going to be the one going to court to try your dad. Right. Like, bringing the court, like, you're going to be standing on the other side of the courtroom being like, you killed him. That's, that should be the family of the dead servant doing that. Yeah. So it's real strange. It's kind of way out of the ordinary that Euthyphro is doing this. And Socrates is like, oh boy. You have such a lock on what is good and pious and holy in right. the face of the gods that you are willing to bring your own father to trial for this. Yeah, because Euthyphro, the, the reason he does it is because he says it's it's out of his pious. piety. He's, 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 he's a pious man. He's a pious man. And he's a bit of a diviner. He kind of tells yeah. the future and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they're used to him sort of being around court and doing his thing with the gods. And so yeah. he says, I got to keep up my reputation. I got to do this thing. My dad's got to, you know, he's got to pay for this. Right. And so Socrates is like, you must know something I don't about what piety is. To feel so, this strongly about it. To feel this strongly and to have sure. this much of a lock on it. So would you please, like, I am here to learn. And I am here under accusation of impiety, impiety myself, right? right? Being a neologist, coming right. up with new gods and preaching against the old gods and causing all kinds of trouble and corrupting the youth. And that's what I'm here for. Right. So it'd be great if you could tell me what piety is. Right. And then that way, when they ask me, I can just say I'm a disciple of yours. And <laughs> then if they're okay with you, yes. then they have to be okay with me. It's like a get out of jail it's free a great answer. card. That's good. And Socrates is like, I am on board. So tell now, me. In Euthyphro's defense, though, he did say, I know a lot about the gods okay. more than other people. Oh, yeah. It's his whole thing. Yeah. So, does, so Socrates takes his side off the bat. So he agrees that... No. Euthyphro is pious. You, he says you, that's a that's a pretty extreme step, but you must you know something that it? I don't. Yeah. Right. And Euthyphro is so, like, yes, I do. Which I means can tell, I can teach it to you. Just Socrates the way you're is like, excellent. Because everything you're saying leads me to think that Socrates is going to wreck Euthyphro. Oh, like, yes. I mean, okay. that's what Socrates does. Yeah, he comes I, up. That's and, what I mean. And uh, as I, you actually get the story of how Socrates has become the wise man that he is yeah. in the apology, mm-hmm. in the beginning of the apology. Uh, have we talked? We, I'm sure we've talked about it on this podcast. I don't think we have actually. I don't think we've done. Well, quick story. Um, on the off chance that I never do the apology is that he went to, a, a friend of his went to the Oracle and said, who is the wisest man? Socrates. And the Oracle said, Socrates. And Socrates is like, that is a load of hogwash. <laughs> that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I need to go find somebody. But it's also the Oracle. He's right. he, Yeah. You know. And so he's like, I'm going to prove that Oracle wrong. So I'm going to go find someone that is wiser than me. Right. And then I will take them to the Oracle and be like, look, Oracle, this guy, he is wiser than me. And so he goes, looks, and he goes to the wise men and he starts asking him questions and he finds out they don't know what they think they know, not anymore than he does. Right. So then he tries the, uh, the poets and he's like, poets aren't, can't even talk about their own poetry right. intelligently, right? Some sort of passion or something. And then he's like, and then I went to the artisans and the artisans actually fared pretty well. They knew a lot of stuff I didn't about like metal and horses and that right. sort of stuff, but they still weren't wise. They weren't wiser than me. And so I couldn't find people. And so I made it my mission 
to go and prove that these like reputed wise people were not wise by right. asking them a bunch of questions. And every time I do, I would then denounce them as not wise right. and then make an enemy. And so they all <laughs> hate me. And that's kind of my lot in life. And right. so this is who he is. Right. right. And so yes. he's like, great. Euthyphro, you're going to tell me stuff. You're going to teach me what piety is. I'm so excited. What is piety? Um, and by the way, I have a quote from Euthyphro about how awesome he is. He's like, it's the best of Euthyphro and that which distinguishes him, Socrates, from other men is his exact knowledge of all such matters. What should I, good, what should I be good for without it? So he, he's pretty full of himself. Yes. Um, now, Socrates in the Apology also has, and Euthyphro seems to know about it, that Socrates hears, a vo- hears voices or is in some sort of like um, communication with a demiurge. Um, is this the thing that AJ just said that Euthyphro can see the future or did you no, say divining? No. What'd you say? So yeah. something he, that comes he, up, yeah, he can see the future. Something that comes up in the apology is that, is that Socrates says that he's always had this, he's always, um, heard, he's always heard the voice of the demiurge. No, yeah, cause Euthyphro makes, makes reference to it. He's like, oh yeah, you've got that, you got that thing where you hear voices. He's like, ah, I kind of dabble in new God and God voices myself. <laughs> but uh, maybe we do need to do an episode on the apology because I'm remembering it incorrectly. I don't remember that in mm-hmm. Euthyphro. Did I just miss it? Uh, uh, it's it's more a big deal in the apology where okay. Socrates says, um, "I went to the oracle. Uh, the oracle said that I'm the wisest person. I'm only the wisest person because I know I'm not the wisest person." Right. And he says, "At but least I've, I know what I don't know." Yes, but I've always been led by basically this divine voice that has always inspired me to want to go seek the true and good. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's like, oh, that sounds super weird, Socrates. Maybe we'll have to do an episode in Apollo. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's a, <laughs> turns out there's a whole bunch of dialogues. We can, yes. do, we can do a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So he says, please define what piousness is. What is piety? And Euthyphro says, well, it's, <laughs> it is prosecuting anyone who is guilty of murder, sacrilege, or of any similar crime, whether he be your father or mother or whoever he may be, that makes no difference. And not to prosecute them is impiety. By way of example, Zeus ousted Kronos because Kronos was eating his dang kids. So there's an example of piety. Kronos is his dad, right? Zeus, yeah, Zeus ousted his, his father, Kronos, because Kronos was eating all the children. And he's like, that, that can't happen. Getting rid of you. And he's like, that is our example of piety. Prosecute murderers. All right. Do you have any feelings about that definition of pie? I have to ask Magby because you already know the answers to this. Uh, How do you feel about that definition? Any I, problems I, in it? I look yeah, forward, how do you feel, baby? I look forward to showing off my ignorance for the next 50 <laughs> minutes. So okay. I hope, listener, you quite enjoy this as much as I don't. Uh, no. Um, I don't know if we'll get into this, but some part of piety is uh, is like a respect for um, is a respect for parents uh, again Aeneas is like the model of piety and okay. it's like his care for his father that gets lifted up don't uh, I mean that won't come up obviously but um so I, I, I'm having trouble here that he's calling it piety as opposed to justice and I don't know if that matters or comes up it does come up does it great oh yeah you're you're like am I, am I, am I, yeah okay, you're yeah. on the you're it's just because right it feels like the thing he's pointing pointing to is something different than what piety is that's my main pushback but he's probably saying something true that if a law is an absolute law, it should probably be um, implemented absolutely, regardless of who that person is. Um, but in some way, it seems like you're pro-justice and impious by applying it to your father, okay. because at some level, a respect for the person who, like you know, is responsible for you being in the world seems like you're disrespecting him in some way. Okay, so one thing you did naturally was you abstracted it into a principle, yes. right? Apply apply laws justly, right? Right. He didn't say that. He said piety is prosecuting anyone who is guilty of murder, sacrilege, oh. or any similar crime, or 
there are other crimes that he's not including that probably should be. Well, there's, and not just like, I have to prosecute someone to be pious. That sounds silly, right? And not to prosecute them is impiety. Like that seems like a weird thing to say. And Socrates, yes, is like, man, there are many other pious acts besides prosecuting murderers. Is there any other definition you could give me that isn't just murder prosecution? Right. And so it says, all right, fine. Here's a better definition. Piety is what is dear to the gods and impiety is that which is not dear to the gods. Okay. Any problems with that one? No, that's that's solid. That's good? We're done? Obviously, I like it. The problem is then determining what are those things that are dear to the gods and what are those things that are not dear to the gods. And if we can't know those things or if they are... uh, Yeah, if we can't know those things, then then it's a principle that means nothing. Yeah. Is that where? Yeah, that's a, that's a piece of it. The yeah. other piece is that the gods fight, right? A great point. Poseidon loves the Trojans, and yep. The other one. <laughs> <laughs> We're big. That sentence really yeah, yeah, out yeah, the end. Yeah, I was waiting for the rest. Of it. <laughs> Athena, I don't know. Maybe you Apollo. see the other one makes the drinks? <laughs> no, the other one likes the Greeks. The other one makes <laughs> It's not far off for the Greeks. Poseidon loves honestly. the Trojans yeah. and everybody else just, the other one makes the drinks. The other one yeah. mixes the drinks. And that's Greece. <laughs> um, no, he's, his point is that the gods fight about yes. stuff, right? So there's disagreement among the there's gods. There's definitely disagreement about, yes. like some of them want one thing and some of them want the other. And they don't disagree about basic stuff that's solvable, like how long is this stick? Right. Like if we had a disagreement about that, we could just go measure it. Right. Honestly, I have no idea why that particular passage is in this dialogue, but he's pointing out that that's not a thing people generally fight about is something that's easily solved. Like how many ducks are there? Is that actually We could just an go example? count. The really? ducks isn't, but just like, like that a paragraph. length of thing. Yeah, that's there's funny. like a whole paragraph about like, that isn't what we fight about. We fight about things that are good or evil or right or wrong. Yep. And that's what the gods fight about too, right? right. So- what you're doing in prosecuting your father might be enjoyed by one god right, and not. hated by another god, right. right? Kronos got ousted by Zeus. I don't think he wanted to be. Sure. Kronos was a god also. Kronos right. yeah. was also a god, right? Sure. Yes. And so he says, so how can, how can that be pious, right? What right. you're doing could be either one. And he said, Euthyphro's like, yeah, but all of them agree about prosecuting murderers. <laughs> Is that <laughs> true? Like, yeah. Because don't some gods murder also, or like, or like Ares loves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and so Socrates says, yeah, granted, nobody argues that oh. murderers should be punished, but they do argue about their guilt, right? Right? How can you prove to the gods, like, how can you prove that all the gods approve of the the act that you are doing, right? Right? That your dad is actually guilty, right? If you can, <laughs> if you can, I will praise you forever. Like, prove me this one thing, and right. I'm on board. Euthyphro, you're so smart. Um, Euthyphro just says, okay. Well, actually, this is, I think Socrates offers this refinement. He says, all right, never mind. Maybe we should just give another definition. What all the gods hate, what all the gods hate is impious. What all of them love is pious or holy. And what some of them love and others hate is neither or both. (laughs) Okay. Okay. (laughs) Then the clear problem is your middle category, right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's funny that they don't actually address that sure. difficulty as much. I mean, this is, again, this is one thing I love about Plato is where, where our modern minds are like, ah, yes, but here's some vagary. Plato right. sometimes just doesn't, he just doesn't even address it. He's sure. like, standing in line. Isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> They're just talking. There's something right. else going on. And Socrates right. wants to change the subject or talk yeah. about something else. I, that's one thing I absolutely love about reading Plato is the problem I see. And I'm like, oh, that's a fallacy. Right. Never even gets discussed. Sure. Um, he, he says, all right, what I would like to hear is, are pious things loved because they are holy or, or are they holy because they are loved? And that's the Euthyphro dilemma, right? Like that's yeah. the, 
well, I understand that as, as, as the core of the dialogue. Maybe that's not the so case. So have you already read this one and I'm just preaching to the choir here? Uh, I read it my freshman. It was my first philosophy class in undergrad was oh, okay. uh, reading Ethafro. So it's been a very, very long time. Um, so yes, I'm, I'm, all I remember is that as the thing tied to Euthyphro. Okay. So what do you, what do you think? Is it love because it's holy or is it holy because it's loved? Uh, and you can address that for both modern time. And this is, this is for both of you guys. You can address that for both modern time and the gods of the ancient, ancient Greece. And I'm going to look really fast as you guys discuss in that drawer over there and see if I can't find the blind assertion bell. I feel like we're just going to I'm so excited. It. Yeah. Just everything I've said so far should, you should ring it for that. It feels like in the, in the, classical context and the context where this dialogue is happening, it has to be that there is a true thing that the gods are agreeing with, not because they like it or not, but because it's true outside of them. Yeah. Um, and isn't that Socrates big push to that he always wants to find is he always wants to get to the true good thing that is true and good in and of itself. And he wants to know it. So I, I would say that that the thing is, I guess in that sense, you would say it's loved because it's holy. Right. Yes. Give me, give me like at least a couple of rings just to, for the beginning of this conversation. I don't know. I feel like you're doing a pretty good job. Thanks. There. Much you're appreciated. Really okay. That so, was a blind assertion. What? You just saying that maybe did it. <laughs> that was a blind <laughs> Thanks, assertion. Appreciated. Um, so what'd you guys land on? That it's, that it's love good because, because it's, that it's holy. Love huh? because it's holy. That there are things that are just good in that, and that's sort of, so, that's Socrates' big push is he wants to find the good. He wants to be able to, f to um, that there is an objective good thing that is, that is lovable, and if the gods love it, so should we, like, because, it is, because it is a holy thing. So it's loved because it's holy. That's okay. All right, so it's loved because it is holy. Not As opposed to it's holy because it's loved, where then we live in a world where we're just sort of, um, we're thrust back and forth between the arbitrary whims of the gods that yeah. whatever they love ends up being the, the good. right thing. Yeah. Okay. And it can change all the time and we're all screwed up. I think that question changes now if we're talking about modern day, we'll get there mm -hmm. at the, at the very end, we kind of sure. discuss how all of this applies to current theology. Right. So he says, look, is a thing visible because it's seen or seen because it's visible? And he kind of goes into these weird examples that are sort of hard to understand, but the essence of it is this, that a, a, when you find yourself in a state, that state implies previous action. Okay. So if I am in the state of being loved, it is because I was holy. Okay. Right. Or worth loving. Okay. I'm not worth loving because I have been loved. Right. It doesn't work backwards. Yeah, it's not way. the other way around. And so he says, I, I am, I'm in a state of suffering because I have suffered. Right. I am in a state of piety because I have like, because I'm worth, I'm, I'm loved because I am worth loving, not worth loving because I was originally loved. Sure. And so there's this sort of circular thing and it gets confusing. And then Euthyphro's like, well, dang it. You're making my arguments run away from me. I'm getting all confused. And he gets kind of frustrated with what's right. happening. And, and he kind of blames it on Socrates. And he's like, look, man, I get you. Like, I just, this right. is a problem that I cause and I wish I didn't do it, but maybe we'll look at it a different way. Right. We, we've done this before. Like we're getting confused. How about we abstract a little bit? And he, he also does this in... That'll clear it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, not, maybe not abstract, but like step back, right? Maybe look at it in a new oh, context. Okay. Kind of what he does in... <laughs> he doesn't answer any of these questions ever, so it, it, it's not going to work. We know that. <laughs> it's, it's what he does in The Republic, right? Where he's like, I want to know what justice is, but we're getting confused as we talk about a single person. <laughs> 
Why don't we talk about let's talk about an entire society? Let's build a society. Yeah. And so he he tries to step back a little bit and he says, "Okay, so what part? Why why not look at piety as part of its category? Right? What does piety have to do with justice? Right? Is everything just pious, or is everything pious just the second one? Okay, uh, pi- piety is a subset of justice. So justice is the larger category. Yes. Right." Okay, great. And he actually has to go into, like, you got that question right away. Euthyphro does not. Oh, he's like, okay. I'm not sure what you're, you're talking about. And he's like, okay, I'll give you an example. And he gives an example of something that's a subcategory right. of another category. Right. And so he says, what part of justice is piety? Like, if we're looking at justice as the huge category, what piece of that is piety, right? Yeah, I don't know how to answer that question, but it's a hard question. Yeah. Is it justice for the gods or just justice in divine things? It's yeah. ju- that piety is that part of justice that attends to, to the gods. Yeah, sure. right. So justice in regards to the divine. Um, and Socrates, so, so giving the gods what they're owed. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Socrates says, what do you mean by attention? Like what you mean we attend to the god? What kind of attention? Is it the kind of attention that a horse trainer gives to horses or that an an ox herd gives to oxes or it's like respect. It's a dog um, trainer gives to dogs. Like what are we? Yeah. Okay. Your answer is exactly what Euthyphro says. Oh, really? It's the kind of attention that servants show their masters. Yeah. Right. You follow what the gods prefer, I guess in this case. Right. Yeah. Follow what the gods prefer. And Socrates says, okay, so what, what work does this help accomplish? Right. If you are serving your masters, right. Cause they do serve the gods. Mm-hmm. Like what is, what is the work that we are doing? Right. Is this like, an art that ministers to a shipbuilder because a shipbuilder has an, a result, right? So if I'm ministering to a shipbuilder, I'm helping him to build a ship. Or if I'm doing medicine, the goal is health. So what what is the fair work that the gods are doing that by the help of our ministrations? Is it victory in war? Like, what are we helping them get done? A coherent civilization, people living together peacefully, um, the possibility of cooperation between people. Sweet weather. Sweet weather, sure. What? Um, so Euthyphro just says, all right, heck with it. I'm just going to give you a new definition of piety. <laughs> okay. how, about, how about this one? Holiness is learning how to please the gods in word and deed by prayers and sacrifices. It misses. So then why is he prosecuting his father? Because it's not a, unless he's sacrificing his father. But it seems, it seems like it's that same problem of a limited definition to a broader situation. Holiness doesn't necessarily only involve prayers and sacrifice. That limits it to a religious realm as well, opposed to... It says also how to please the gods in word and deed. That's pretty broad. And it would please the gods to bring... Is it word and deed through prayer and sacrifice? Or is it... I think it, it's comma those by are two prayers. Separate. And, two separate things. Word okay. and deed and prayers and sacrifices. Uh, you still have the same problem of disagreement, I guess. But I don't, I don't hate this definition. Yeah, it certainly seems like it's... They're improved. making progress, yeah, right? Yeah, sure. Right. Um, and so Socrates says, so piety is the science of praying and sacrificing. So I actually think he reduces the definition a little to bit. To that, yeah. Um, he says it's, it's a science of asking and giving to the gods. Like we ask for things and we give them things. Like we pray and we sacrifice. And Euthyphro's like, nailed it. That's it. I think we got it. <laughs> and so Socrates is like, so it's essentially us doing business with, gods. with the gods, yeah. right? And he's like, we're really getting the better deal on that one. Like, clearly, they don't really need much from us, right. and we are asking things from them. Like, what, what are we giving them that they really want? Right. Some, like, burnt fat? 
Some and, sweet, sweet smelling meat, right? And we that? get yeah. from them all kinds of stuff. Like yeah. we are definitely getting getting one over on the gods in this in this deal. What have do we, you never wanted barbecue? Graham mm. <laughs> is a great point. That's fair enough. And yeah. he says, so what do what do we give them that they need that they benefit from? Like honor. what is it that we give the gods that they need? I mean, like well, Apollo would probably be fine without honor. He'd still be Apollo. And Euthyphro says they don't get any benefit from our gifts. Like wow, we give them. Gods don't really need them. Yeah. And so Socrates is like, so what, what are we actually, like, what do we give them? And he says, tributes of honor. And Socrates says, and we're back where we started. And basically that, like, is it, is it love because it's worthy of loving? Like that, that sort of thing. Um, and Euthyphro eventually just kind of says, I, I have to go now. <laughs> is that really how it ends? Yeah. It ends with Euthyphro saying, you know what? I got some business I got to take care of. <laughs> it's, it's really funny because Socrates says we're, we're back once again to the thing. Like it doesn't benefit them, but so it's, so it's dear to them that they like it, but it's also not dear to them at the same time. Right. So it's, if you said piety is what's dear to the gods, well, it's not dear to them because they don't really need it, but it is dear to them because they want it. Like you're confusing me, man. And right. Euthyphro just says, look, man, I got, I, I have other things to do. So I'm going to leave now. Um, bye. And that's the end of the dialogue. <laughs> Wonderful. So they don't actually solve it. Of kind of the not. same. I mean, like Mino comes to a conclusion, but Mino's conclusion is, no, you can't teach piety. And this one is, well, who knows what piety is? I have no idea. It's yeah. not helpful. All right. So what thoughts kind of come up as this? What, what are you going to talk about with your kids? I have a few well, questions, but, but I'd they're like to getting hear what at, your take he's is. Get, like, Socrates is always hinting at the fact that everything is should all these like with piety being a subset of virtue and then virtue virtue is a subset of something like you, Socrates is always hinting that things are supposed to build up to the good that there is a there is the one singularity there is yes yeah. there is like this the one same, good, good from which all the goods come from and knowing that good is the business of the philosophical man, the business of the human being is to seek after and know the good. And Socrates is doing as is always going to the people who say, I'm an expert in an example of good piety. And Socrates is saying, all right, work me backwards so that, so I can see that you're a disciple of the category of good so that you can do the, you can do the, it's like a token type thing, right? Like if, if piety is a I, token, I want to know what piece you have. Of yeah, it. if, if yeah. piety is a token of the type of good, help me understand the type of good so that I too can partake in the token. And all the people who are experts on the token are like, I gotta go, Socrates. Right. You're so you're so freaking annoying. So, um, <laughs> but this is this. Is, but but um, so I think the takeaway is that is that through the, the all of the Socratic dialogue, Socrates gets to the point of. We in, we we have a category that we call good that we want to know, and knowing it is like the key part of being a human or a good human being, a happy human being. And nobody flipping knows it. And nobody, anybody, everybody who says they know it, know it, doesn't. And Socrates wants to know it, and that's basically what he says in his apology: is that he is spending his whole life trying to find the good. Okay. So that's, that's the takeaway. All right. So you say piety is what? A token of the type, and the type is good. 
Um, but what, what part of good is that is I'm going to get, an, an well, I think, you were, I think you were getting close to it when you were saying that it is the justice rendered the gods, right? Um, it is giving the gods, uh, what they are owed. Um, it is have it is having right relationship with the gods as having right relationship with one's family, for example. Now, the irony is, is that Euthyphro is like condemning his father right. to death or uh, is, is prosecuting his father for murder while claiming to be pious mm-hmm. when he's doing what is ostensibly a pretty impious thing. It's like, uh, it's not that his dad was the one that got drunk and cut a throat. His dad was trying to do the right thing and then there was this, you know, accident or some sort of situation where, you know, should be investigated and looked at, but it wasn't like foaming at the mouth, bloodthirsty murder. Mm -hmm. But Euthyphro sees it as like the opportunity to sort of showcase his piety and Socrates is calling BS on it. Yeah. So I think calling calling piety is like the justice as a subset of justice is getting, is getting to the right answer. Okay, so I'm going to throw a few questions at you. Okay. Is, is what, and I'm going to move it to modern. So if you're, if you're new to the podcast, all three of us are Christian. Um, we do come from a Christian bent. We try to, like, it's going to kind of color where we come from. We're all believers. If you aren't into that, that's okay. Stick around, disagree with us, throw things at your radio, whatever you want to do. That's fine. We'll get you eventually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Or, or at least you'll have more ammo for, you oh, know, yeah. just eradicating us on Reddit or whatever you want to do. So, so is, are the things that God loves good because he loves them or does he love them because they are good? Yeah. As this is an interesting thing because, um, what is it? We love because Christ first loved us. Uh, or, um, or were we, uh, were we so lovable and that's why God loved us? God looked at us. He's like, oh Yeah. They're pretty sweet. I got to go save them. Um, I mean, that's that's even more specific. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the question is one of the good. Is it the good because God created it that way? Or is is the good something separate and abstracted from God? It is not something separate. It is, an, it is God's nature. Right. Yeah, so. I don't... Uh, this is an annoying answer. So please, uh, Socrates, this answer. But uh, I don't think there's a meaningful distinction between the two. So... In in Euthyphro in the Euthyphro dilemma posing this question, it's that there's some preceding existence that then places an obligation on the gods to then love that good thing, right? But then if the God who created everything is the same God who is being honored with piety, there's no distinction there between who establishes the good things as good and who loves those good things. So I don't I don't see what we gain by posing that question. Does that make sense? Like I don't I don't see what we're pulling out of it. I think the big question is, is there something outside of God that he's beholden to? And I think that's the, that's the dangerous one. And I think most, most modern theologians would agree with you guys that, that goodness is identical with God's nature. He creates good things because he is good and he is good because he's God, right? right? Goodness is his nature. His nature is goodness. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of all reaching back to this same, like at that point, God and good become kind of the same thing. He could have established something else as good initially. I guess, I don't know if this is kind of what you're getting at, but like, and then that establishment puts some kind of obligation on himself in the future. But that that time discussion doesn't really mean... Well, and he's never obligated because at any point he could... He established it and if... And continuously wills its That's what I mean. And, right? so, so, and, and that's what I mean of... So things could... Different things could be good. That's the problem you were posing before. But we would not be aware of that time wherein 
the bad is good and the good is bad. This is we always make fun of ourselves. There'd going be no switchover. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. between, <laughs> yeah, we just wouldn't know. So uh, I just don't. I don't see a difference between God loving the thing and Him establishing that thing as good. That those both are happening together. Yeah. Okay. Here's here's a harder one. Can we offer anything to God? Yeah, praise, honor. But does He need it? No. No. God is sufficient. Um, I mean, this is kind of the mystery of the Trinity, the three in one, but, uh, yeah, it doesn't need it, but, um, but it is still a thing we can offer him. So I don't know. So, but then at that point, and this is one of my big conundrums is it seems like it's just for us. He doesn't need it, especially if he's already supremely happy. How can you get more happy than happy? There are different levels of infinity. Yeah. They're different. There's a there are some infinities less than other infinities. That sounds crazy. That's true. I mean, infinity minus one is still infinity, but it's still uh, someone's going to anyway. Like there are, there can be different types of infinity, which is not a helpful discussion. Uh, yeah, I, is ca- <laughs> <laughs> so is God is God more different types of infinity? What's so happening? AJ is God more happy when you do something that is praiseworthy and pious when you do when you honor him is he more happy than he was yesterday are you implying that he is at any point less happy than perfectly happy yeah i, I guess that's my question no it's not, well i guess it's it's um, if i can make him more happy mm-hmm. then he is not fully happy um unless ha- the nature of happiness is not something that's like it's like something that can grow but can't shrink so okay let me um if you had uh, so you see your coffee cup and my coffee cup? Yeah. Are they different sizes? Sure. Okay. If I filled my coffee cup to 100% full, is it 100% full of coffee? Yeah. Okay. And then if I put it into your coffee cup and fill uh, it, would it be 100% full of coffee? No. No. I would have to put more coffee in your coffee cup. But both cups can be 100% full. Yep. So uh, I guess that's my question is like, can God be 100% happy? And then when you do something better, it like expands his happiness and then he's still 100% happy, but he's more happy. It would imply that there is a time at which, well, I mean, like there is a vessel larger than his happiness that he would then need to fill. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think this works as an analogy. Or it's an infinite vessel that with infinite capacity, what are we doing right now? This is straight 2 a.m. conversation. Um, I've I've had like three hours of sleep, so I'm (laughs) on board. Uh, Again, these are the problems that of... Um, yeah, of trying to talk about an infinite being with our finite examples, they'll fall apart regardless. But again, the the disconnect I'm still having is that you can still offer some something to someone who doesn't need it, and it's still giving them something, whether they need it or not. They still can receive that. My sweet three year old paints pictures for me. I don't need pictures. I love receiving them. But that there implies a lack. God already owns all those things. Yeah. Right. You, you don't have those pictures before your kid gives them to you. I'm saying I didn't have a lack of picture before receiving one, but like, Oh yeah, you did. You just didn't know it. I just didn't know it, I <laughs> guess. Yeah. Uh, and it's not really about the, I don't know. Yeah. And if you're becoming more happy than you were, it would imply that you weren't supremely happy prior. I'm always supremely happy. I don't understand your distinction. Uh, yeah. So that, I mean, this is a, this is a hard one, right? What is it exactly that we offer God when we do things that quote unquote, please him? I still think it would be some form of honor, reverence, respect, whatever word you want to use for that. 
Um, and I, I guess what I mean is not like what are what are the things we offer, but what tangibly do we offer God that He doesn't already have? I think the answer to that is nothing. Isn't that what you're? And and that's so. So why do them? Why does then, He ask us to? Wait, but is it only for us? Can't I withhold God my respect? Sure. So then He there is something that God doesn't have, and that can be the disrespectful man's love. So he has a lack. He has... So, so God is incomplete so like without Ted, that love. Ted doesn't love God, and God does not have Ted's love. So in this, in this instance, does Ted have a veto over God's happiness? Um, no, because God can still be happy without Ted. Okay, so what is it that Ted is really doing to anyone other than himself? God's happiness plus Ted. <laughs> he gets Ted. So uh, he does lack Ted. Yeah, he lacks and Ted. That, so if he lacks Ted, then Ted is in charge of this lack that God has. Um, Ted is in charge of the, the, the Ted God relationship. It's <laughs> the worst. Uh, no, I'm just saying that like, if we want our love and piety and respect and worship to means it to mean something, it must mean something when we don't give it. It okay. doesn't mean that God's any less powerful. It doesn't mean that God's any less, um, God. But I kind of, why is it wrong to say that it means that God is less happy? You can be, you can be like, because because it gives us the power of making of making God displeased when we want to make but, him displeased. But think about this. So think about an example of like a veto on your the child grows up and they're a disappointment, and they're off doing terrible things in the world, or they're just like being a big sad sack out there, and that breaks your heart. But, um. But there's still, you, you still have like the joy of life and you love your wife and you have a home and you eat good food. And, and in the back of your mind, there's the, yeah, it, I, would, it would be, I would be so much happier if my, you know, the prodigal son came home and loved me. And there's this like desire that the father has for the prodigal to come back. But if the prodigal doesn't come back, I'm not going to fall apart. I'm not going to, I'm not going to completely fall apart, but if he's back, I'm going to be happier than I was. And so maybe, why is it wrong to say that God doesn't have this little twinge of desire for his prodigals to come home? You, you wouldn't say, you would say that like, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's still a heartbreak, but it's not like I'm unhappy. I'm going to have to take AJ's on this one because this is our immutability conversation from oh, forever gosh. ago that, um, again, all I ever do is read from Wikipedia, that God is uh, does not experience pain or pleasure from the actions of another being. Um, it's uh, Jesus does, apparently. Uh, that's a complicated question. Consequence of design is saity, the idea that God is absolutely independent of any other being. He is no, in no way causally dependent. So it would be wrong of us to say that I think AJ's point still stands. That so it's wrong we, of us to say that we are hurting God by withholding something. So from when him. we read the prodigal son parable and we superimpose over that story, God and us, the sinner returning to God, yep. that's an inappropriate reading of that parable because we are ascribing that kind of fatherly characteristics of the man running to embrace his son to God who shouldn't be moved by our decisions. The part that I'm having trouble with is, again, that... Uh, I think this sometimes gets worked out as there being God's expressed will, um, as opposed to his, 
Secret will. Oh, that feels like a like a, it's a cop distinction out. cop out. I'm fine with that, but I just want to again. I don't I don't know where I stand on this, and I think AJ's posing the question. There's is like there. a real god and a secret like public facing god. No, <laughs> just so I can define my terms. That there's a revealed will that is the way that God says things ought to be. So um, God desires that all would be saved. God desires that all would know Him. God desires that the kingdom would be uh, on earth as it is in heaven. But that's not the way it is. But God is still in control. Therefore, we kind of get in this Romans 8 is the one that people make fun of, but that God is still working things together for the good of those who love him, even though the way that it looks right now is not kingdom on earth, right? Mm-hmm. So you are still doing God's will even when you're trying to. It's the yes. Satan dilemma. Everything I do to hurt God is just what he wants is me to God's do anyway. Will, yeah. right? So then that's where the, like, if to talk of happiness seems to be the execution of God's will is God's happiness. It, again, I'm I'm just working this out verbally, but then that would mean that since God, who is in control of all, is always executing his will, he's always happy, completely Supremely happy. Yes. Oh, now we're back in the like, best of possible worlds yeah. dilemma. Well, we already answered that one as we live in the best of all possible worlds. Yep, nailed it. QED. I feel like that's a preamble to heresy. I feel like your question, does, does being hurt that my prodigal is off the rails... I think the question has to be asked, like, does that imply an incompleteness? Mm-hmm. Right? I think that was a good question. Am I incomplete when my dopey kid isn't doing what he's supposed to do and he ran off to drugs? Is being hurt over that, does that imply an imperfection in me? Or can that be a perfection, right? That something I have created that I've created for a perfect like purpose isn't fulfilling the purpose that I created it for, even though it's still within my will. That's th- This is where your will distinction gets like complicates things, right? right? it being imperfect is still within my overarching will, right? right? You wanted to have kids. That was your will. You wanted him a family. It still hurts when he's not doing what he's supposed to do. Right. And when he doesn't like you and you would like to like him. But in that weird analogy, he has a power to hurt you, right? He could be like, I love you, dad. Just kidding. You suck. And you'd be like, oh, ow, right, right in right. the heart. We can't really do that to God, right? So, yeah. I, and maybe tying in with that also that, when we're pointing to parables, we're pointing to metaphors. Mm-hmm. And so those metaphors are to help us understand God. But how are they helping us understand God if the conclusion is, but he's not actually like this? That all those who turn to him are welcomed into his household, right? Like that is a true thing. But it's described in a way that we can relate to as we have or know fathers, right? Um, and I don't, I don't know where this fits in with this, but that God is a fundamentally different being than human. And so I just, maybe even in talking about God being without passion, sounds like he's uncaring. But what what we're actually saying is that it would be uncaring if I were impassable and without passion, but would not be uncaring for God. And maybe that's, does that, um, maybe that's the discomfort you're feeling, that the prodigal's, the story of the prodigal son both gives an example of how to be as a father and also tells us something about God. And those might be two different things. I'm, I'm having a hard time squaring the notion of this impassibility, right? Lack of passion or being causally unrelated with some of the scripture that talks about God being grieved or being angry. Like, I know that those might just be metaphors to help us understand a constant attitude of God's, but I'm, I'm wondering how does, how does Jesus fit into this? Because he was human in nature. And that human nature isn't gone. Sure. It is simply risen. Yeah. So like that human is still out there feeling human things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jesus is always like the problem of theology, <laughs> right? Um, and that these categories don't work for, I think to start with the easier example, I think it is reasonable to read old Testament emotions as being 
metaphors to help us understand. So God hates sin. Hate is an emotion word the way we use it now. Is it more accurate to say that God is opposed to all sin or there is a kingdom of heaven that is opposed to a kingdom of evil, right? Like, um, the wrath of God. Yeah. Right. But, but when we turn it into an emotion word, that's different than saying there's an allegiance we offer to one or the other. So again, the metaphorical language helps us to understand, but to overfocus on the hatred part of it is to miss that there's one, there are two different kingdoms and maybe that's the, the deeper point of it. But even then I, I, and I, I ask all these questions partially because I like, I've got a dog in the fight, right? Just like Nietzsche, I'm in that boat and I'm careening down the thing. If, if I don't think God actually needs my prayers and they're only for me and there's nothing that makes him more happy or less happy or more pleased or more pleased, then why do them? I don't need them. Right. I mean, there's, there's that feeling, like what, what am I actually offering to God? Maybe it's nothing. And if it's just for me, then, well, if I'm unselfish, why am why would I do it? So there's, there's that question. Sure. And then, um, was I make your comment. I'll try to remember my other question. Just, um, I don't know if we'll, again, just in thinking about piety as the place where you started this, that, um, when we hear piety or reverence, we think of the specifically spiritual or religious realm. And I don't think that's the only place where it belongs that I think piety at some level is a respect for those that come before us. And that, um, what piety at some level piety is, if you, you know, in the Christian worldview, God is the one who made all things. Well, as a, almost as like a thank you or an acknowledgement of his creation of all things. There's a way that we live that's in an accord with what he has said, this is how we should live. And so, um, oh, your question about like, why pray? It's a command, right? And as a, I, I don't quite see the problem of, um, I think that also following the virtues lead to, in many cases, a, a more prosperous life. And I don't think that, that there are multiple benefits to it is not a, bad thing. Right. But I also like to think that my prayers are effectual, right? Sure. One of the reasons I didn't pray for so long is I was like, God is going to accomplish his purposes with or without me. But I don't feel like scripture bears that out. And I don't feel like... Because he responds to prayer. Because he responds to prayer. He does stuff. It changes things in scripture. The persistent widow. Yeah. And it changes things in... Like, there's even that one instance, I forget which king it is, but Nathan the prophet came and he's like, you're going to die, get your house in order. And he's like, I don't want to. And he prayed. And then Nathan... God told Nathan to go back. And he's like, fine, you have a few more years. Fine, yeah, whatever. Right. And then left. So like, it does change things. And that, that kind of throws a wrench in this whole thing. And the other reason that this is important to me specifically is because, like, you know, growing up, I, I was part of the whole enlightenment thing. And I saw that emotions were dangerous and often untrustworthy and not necessarily good. And so spent a lot of time trying to get a hold on them. And, and now I think I've, I feel them less than I should, right? That the passions are a healthy part of the human life and trying to restore their place is difficult. If you think that to be godly means to be passionless or at least supremely happy all the time without an appropriate place for those passions, right? If I am aiming to be godly, then. Yeah. But godly is to be godly is not the same as to be God. And that's the distinction I'm trying to say by um, just in, in the way that we, when we talk about stoicism, when we're not just trashing it, there are, there are benefits to a certain distance of being swept up in one's passions that we would probably say is a good thing. That's not the same as to say we must be totally without uh, impact from others because that would make us cold and unfeeling or, or a hermit, which, you know, is not a bad way to, to Do be. we trash stoicism. I like stoicism. Do you not remember the last time you did an episode on stoicism? We were pretty, the two of us were pretty negative on it. 
I was I involved in that? I don't think so. You led the conversation. You were okay. very positive, and then we were both very negative. Oh, okay, I was like, I don't. I love that tragic. you don't remember these things. That's one of my favorites. I always feel very guilty about how we respond to many topics, and oh, yeah. you're you're completely not remembering it. Makes me feel much better. Don't ever. If you want to, you can disagree with me, like yeah, all week, and I I won't I won't take it home with me. So yeah. uh, feel free. So yeah, I um, <laughs> and I'd probably need to do more thinking on this. Um, but again, I. I if God is different in kind from human, right? So I don't, mm-hmm. this gets complicated with Jesus, which is always the problem of theology. Because he is human. Right, and, and still <laughs> is human, right? That's the whole X one thing of the same way that he leaves is the same way he'll come back. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, I don't know where to end it from there. Uh, God is so different from humans that not everything that God does is what we do. God does not marry, we marry, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, and I think, yeah, the other lesson to take is there are different kinds of infinity, uh, different amounts. Apparently there's a lot of disagreement over this, like in, different uh, kinds of infinity and infinity minus, minus one might be a meaningless statement uh, uh, akin to saying um, Brown minus one. So um, maybe someone out there will disagree with this. But I, I think maybe a, a good example I've heard of like a, a small infinity is the circle around the edge of a coin. Yes, it's sure. infinite, but it's a but smaller, it, but right. you're right. It's a, it's a small infinity that you can hold in your hands. Right. Um, Right, it's a tiny, complete system. That's from Chesterton. Yeah, mm-hmm. really good. You should read Orthodoxy. I, the idea of piety being a respect for the past or a respect for the thing that's come before, ultimately going to God, I think is kind of an interesting thing. Then it would be a pious action to almost like submit yourself to the order of the world yep. or submit yourself to the order of creation. Yep. And this is probably why also in the Middle Ages, like, it would be seen as impious as going against government or going against king because this was an ordained thing, an established thing right. in the very fabric of creation, not just like human beings cooked it up. Right. Um, but that idea of like that there can be a piety in how you treat the world, creation, nature. There's a piety in how one deals with family, mm-hmm. the elderly. There's a piety in how one deals with the traditions. Um, and... And so that that really does complicate, or that really does sort of um, go against a lot of modern sensibilities, which is the, you know, throw off the chains or or uh, um, I just want to be free. I just want to yeah. be free, or, or like uh, you know, uh, create your own reality, or um, it's, um, it's forge your own path. That's that's sort of the you know, that that ethos. It's kind of like a what was that? What was that? That was loud. That was pretty loud. Is that an explosion? I don't know. That was very loud. You think it'll show up on the recording? I don't know. Man. Listener, if you didn't hear that, there was a huge bang. Yeah. yeah it sounded like just something fell. Yeah. That was weird. Something heavy. Um, I for- totally forgot what I was going to say. Uh, uh, forging your own path. Oh, for, uh, I, it's, uh, it's, an, it's a, in such an extreme independence that it is folly. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like living at an outpost camp and being like, no, I'm going to go live on my own in yeah, the yeah. woods and survive there where mm-hmm. it's way more dangerous and you're right. making bad decisions. Like, a lot of traditions are there as sort of the hedges to keep you on a good path mm-hmm. I have found later in life. Because <laughs> um, okay. it seems like, yeah, it just seems like Euthyro's problem is that he is impious in yes. his pursuit of justice. And then it's, but then what's fascinating is that he calls that piety. And I guess that doesn't, that's not resolved in the dialogue. But No, because Euthyro's like, I, I gotta go. Right. The other funny thing is that Euthyro thinks he's like, oh, I will explain that very easily to you. He says that yeah. stuff, sort of stuff all the time. And Socrates he, is like, he oh, never boy, does. I, I wish you would. Yeah. Um, Okay, I think yeah. that's that's it. Cool, we, man. Well, we answered it. 
Yeah. Awesome. We nailed it. Well, this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know with Graham, AJ, and Thomas, plus Tiny Explosions. Um, <laughs> if you want to email us, you can email us at theguysatclassicalstuff.net. You can patronize us on Patreon, where we have in-between episodes as well as um, other little goodies uh, for our Patreon listeners and subscribers. Um, you can find us on Twitter, where I will often... No, I, I shouldn't use the word yeah, often. No. Or I will occasionally say things or like things or tweet out articles and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.